0: Hey, Alien Minute listeners, how would you like an extra bit of content from John and Mitch? Say an episode where we talk about things other than Alien, like the movies that we're watching, genres,
1: time periods, all sorts of interesting, different takes on movies. If you want to do that, you can come over and support us at patreon.com forward slash Alien Minute. Pledge us some support to help us out and to get that extra content. We promise you it'll be worth
0: your time. Hello, and welcome to the Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan.
1: And I'm John Engel. And today we're talking about minute number 55, which begins with Kane trying to remember what he last remembered and ends with Kane saying that he's going to get some decent food. And uh, it's Friday, so it's our last day with Tasha Robinson. Well, thanks for coming in this week, Tasha.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I love this movie, and it, it really stands up to this kind of close examination. I was so excited when I heard you guys were doing this podcast, and I'm really honored to be asked to to come join you. Well,
1: thanks.
0: Well, can I start with a strange shot across the bow? Sure. Yeah. So we drop to that wide shot where we actually see Kane sitting on the table, and whatever he's wearing is so weird it's it looks like a teddy or something it looks there's this whole weird gender thing that we've been talking about anyway with uh caitlin horseman when she was on but i don't know what to make of what he's wearing
2: you know what it looks like you know uh that horrible like lime green uh bathing suit that borat wore that's like a banana hammock with (laughs) straps up to the shoulders Yeah. this is like a drapier version of that yeah because it's Really weirdly close about the groin, and then it comes up in a big V to his shoulders
0: with lacing, right?
1: Isn't that
2: lacing? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. So weird. So, are we to assume that I think there's two things we could assume here. Either this is the undergarment that he wears every day when he puts on <laughs> his uniform, when it, when he's in his uniform and he puts on his space suit and goes out and explores a planet and then gets a face hugger stuck to his face that's what's left when they remove the rest of his garments or did they entirely disrobe him? And this is what you're supposed to wear in the infirmary. Which one do we think is more likely?
2: I don't know. Is he a space Mormon?
1: That's I was actually going to ask the <laughs> same question. It says Mormon undergarment. Oh, that's it's so strange. This thing. You're right, Mitch. I, honestly, I've never really given it much thought. Most of the time he's laying and different angles and you can't really see what it's made of. And it, And then at this point, when he's sitting up, when you're watching the movie, this, the the frame is pretty busy, with other people and other things going on. I've never really focused in on what he's wearing. But How great would really that scene ridiculous. have been
0: from the comic book if he walked into the dining room and gave everybody a big wave in that little
1: number? I'm thinking we would have gotten maybe a, a wolf whistle from Parker. Something <laughs> Set
2: like that. Another place for dinner and orgy afterwards. <laughs> I'm already dressed for it.
1: Man, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad he does, though, change clothes for dinner when we get yeah. to that part of the scene. Thankfully, he puts on a, a, some decent attire. So, Kane is, Ripley, in the last minute, was right in the middle of asking him what he last remembers. And he remembers dreaming about smothering, right? This gets a really kind of odd reaction from Ash, don't we think? that We get a cutaway to Ash who furrows his brow for a moment almost to telegraphing. This is a very strange concept to him. What do we make of that?
2: I think it's mostly weird that he's the only reaction shot that we get. Like, I would think that everybody else in this room is giving like a little shudder of sympathy because they know exactly why he's dreaming of being smothered. And instead we cut to Ash. He like kind of waggles his eyebrows I mean, it almost feels like he's trying to make human expressioning and it just doesn't quite work.
1: Well, is it maybe that this concept of dreaming about a situation that was actually happening to you would be a new thing to Ash? Um, Sort of in the Philip K. Dick kind of, I guess, question. Like he doesn't, he does not dream of electric sheep. So he doesn't understand why Kane would translate the situation into a dream form. Is it just a momentary? Well, this is odd to me while you, like you say, everyone else can relate to that idea. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, he's, he, he's scientifically knowledgeable. Surely he would be aware that somebody who literally can't breathe might translate that into a dream state. Like that's not, that's not like complicated sciencing.
1: I don't know. Sometimes he seems a little befuddled at things or it's, again, I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and go to the glitchy. He's glitchy. (laughs) That's it. What about you, Mitch? You read anything into this?
0: No, I'm going to keep all my thoughts to myself when it comes to the android consciousness of Ash, because I might be an android myself.
1: God, I forgot, Tasha. I didn't warn you about this. That Mitch shows some pretty—he exhibits some qualities that could be interpreted as being pretty Ash-like. It's a little glitchy. He seems to sympathize with some Ash's points of view a little bit more. Just an uncomfortable theory that I have that I might – like I've I've told other guests, I do have a fire extinguisher close by.
2: Could you just like experimentally like hit him really hard on the side of the head just to see what happens?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean that's kind of an all-or-nothing experiment. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) We might have a serious problem on our hands, and I don't know how I would explain it. I don't think people would sympathize with my – reasoning behind trying this out so really
2: i don't know it, i think i think if they've seen alien if you if you said yeah he evoked that guy <laughs> a lot of people would be on your side
1: well uh, well officer he was evoking ash from alien so i thought oh we see okay go on home just before he drank that glass of milk i hit him in the head
2: well, you could always leave with, have you seen Alien? And if the cop says yes, then you say he was evoking ash. And if the cop says no, you say, I saw a really big spider on the side of his head. And I, just, I, I was okay. terrified and I needed to kill it with a sure. fire extinguisher.
1: Everybody can relate to that. So good. <laughs> that's a good fail safe for this kind of experiment. Harry Dean okay. Stanton gets a great moment, though, doesn't he? Back to the yeah, old Freezerino is so awesome. <laughs> It's a, is, it, is it just me or is this kind of a 70s way of saying something? It just reminds me a little. There's like a happy days, like welcome back Connor kind of thing to calling him a Freezerino.
2: Exactly. It's yeah. so, it's so, uh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, Vinnie Barbarino. Right. Yeah. Well, it just
1: sounds like something, you know, the Fonz might say or, or one of the Tuscadero's or something. You know, it's just like the kind of 70s slang. That he throws in here, but yeah, he does. He gets a nice moment. He gets to laugh. Everybody laughs. Ash laughs, even at his joke. Again, we got a cutaway to Ash reacting in a way that we haven't seen very often. You know, I, I like to bring up these points where we maybe should have been suspicious of Ash, but here it seems like they're trying to misdirect us into his humanity a little bit again. I don't know. There could be multiple reasons for why we're cutting away to him so often. But. I think everything's going to go all
0: smiles for the next couple of minutes. And I think Ridley Scott is doing everything he can to make everything feel as OK and happy and we're all back together as possible. It's a, it's a totally manipulative move, but it kind of works. I mean, Parker's smiling and Dallas is going to buy everybody food and it's it's ridiculous if it weren't for the movie that was otherwise so bleak we can have this moment and we of take a certain amount of joy in it
1: well do we think even that this was in the plan like maybe we held off on ever giving ash any of these moments earlier in the film because he's never like bantering about with everything he's never smiling laughing so did we hold off just to really add one more layer of this smile smile time that we're talking about here, so it really gets. I'm like, even Ash is happy here. We should all just relax. I don't know.
2: Given that Dallas just shut everybody down for like a moment of levity that was much milder than this, the fact that he actually makes a joke here feels really significant. I mean, everybody's a little loopy from like the the tension dropping but we're we're definitely having a and like an emphasized moment here of like everything's great you know freeze frame like at the end of uh, police squad <laughs> yeah. you know, with everybody smiling
1: we even last week tasha we talked about there's a moment when they go into the infirmary to search for the face hugger after it's fallen off of kane's face mm-hmm. that that dallas steps up and touches like he kind of i guess it it seems as though he's maybe checking the kane's pulse but that seems pretty unnecessary. There's this intimate moment with Kane. And then thinking back on earlier moments in the movie, we we theorize that maybe Kane and Dallas are closer than we actually see in the movie. So it would be a really great relief, if that is true, that to see his friend now awake and alive, he was so worried about him, What I guess, a day or two before, that, and panicky even about the situation that they were in. But maybe that's... Really putting Dallas over the top here too, able to break away he's all that edginess is just washed away now uh his his friend is is free of this issue
2: okay, like first you're shipping him with Ripley now you're shipping Dallas and kane like is there any <laughs> fanfic that you have not written about this this group?
1: I haven't actually started yet, tasha you weren't supposed to ugh. kind of blew it for me all the all the slash fiction i've got planned for alien that's really what this whole podcast is just a research project for me (laughs) but you blew it well anyway folks there's an announcement coming so wait for it
2: (laughs) i look forward to your alien slash fix site uh i look forward to finding out exactly what's uh oh god i i'm already sure that there's horrible horrible alien slash fic out there oh
1: god yeah (laughs) like Folks, please uh, link us to any of this on our Facebook page if you know where to find it.
2: You know, in that infirmary scene, Dallas also has a really like a nice moment with stepping up to protect Ripley when the dead facehugger falls, and that's one of the like the few moments in the, the movie that I really see playing as though like he has a a kind of a masculine protection. Thing that might speak to a romance between them like he throws his body in front of her to protect her and you can see from their faces that they're both terrified but he still has that protective instinct and I, I mean i think you know dallas dallas falls down on the job a few times over the course of this movie but he always seems to do it while he's trying to protect his people you know i think he takes his leadership and his responsibility for his crew really seriously whether he has, like, special feelings for, for Kane as a buddy, like, as somebody he's shipped out with before or not, I think he really painfully feels a failure at having gotten him into the situation he ends up with. And I think that really contributes to the environment here where he thinks everything is okay, and he's willing to relax enough to make a joke again, instead of living in this state of like frustrated tension over what's going on.
1: I think you could even say, you know, we've been building to this, you know, talking about this idea that he's out of his element. He's perfectly cool when he's a, you know, they're mining when they're ca- when he's the captain of the ship, and everything is as it's supposed to be, and they're doing their jobs as that they that they signed up to do. Now he would be kind of probably feel like he's back there again like other than the fact that they have this, um, this face hugger you know specimen everything's now pretty much back to normal they can just have a meal go back to sleep I think he's I think he's feeling back to the old Dallas again yeah you're right
2: and then in this minute we get them sitting down to to their meal and it once again it's looping back to the top of the movie it's looping back to the beginning of the first act where they come out of their sleep and the first thing they do is have, like, a big, like, collaborative meal together, which feels very relaxed and low-key. There's all of this, like, overlapping conversation in this, this particular shot where they're all kind of, it seems like they're all talking at once and maybe about different things. It's very low-key. Like, the dialogue isn't important here. What's important is that they're doing something, like, relaxed and communal. And once again, we've completely reset the tension and gone back to the beginning of the film where absolutely nothing is wrong yet.
1: You know, we maybe we didn't think about it when we first were in this mess hall set, but now that we've seen the rest of the ship, the grimy, you know, engineering section, the bleak stark infirmary, this is definitely what I would consider the hearth of the ship, where we're this is this is the home of the ship. And it's the place that we as the audience members, it's the one place that we can really relate to. Like everybody's got this in their house in one way or another, whether it's sitting on the couch with a tray. Uh, in front of you or sitting around the table with your family. We know this one. And I think that besides the big laughing smile moment that we get with the joke, we're also being brought into the most comfortable place on the ship. And yeah, not only are we resetting to the beginning, but now the, the, where we were in the beginning has a new meaning to us. And obviously I think again, we're trying to, he, he's putting this here to cruelly subvert it and take it away from us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's really significant that they're all sitting around like one big table. You know, this is essentially like a, a barracks-like situation. They could just as well be it, like sitting at, at like two long row tables or something like that. But it's this is like a family dining t- dining room. Like it's meant to evoke sitting down with your family. And everybody's interacting with everybody equally. You know, there's this sense that the focus is in the middle of the table with them all facing inward. Kind of as the camera goes around and looks at everybody, and one thing that's just really chilling when you watch it again is you can so clearly, like, you can so clearly see that Ash is smiling and like following along with the conversation, but he's he's just watching Kane. He's just watching to see what's going to happen next. He's studying him, and it's incredibly creepy.
0: You've got that tension between this what John called this hearth moment. You've got Ash watching and then by and large you can't understand a damn thing anybody is saying so the whole thing is just geared toward creating this illusion of happiness and but we, you know until he says first thing i'm going to do is get some decent food prior to that you can't hear anything you don't know what anything's saying
2: yeah and i find myself really curious about it i went back and watched that that moment several times trying to pick up individual lines and like even watching people's mouths And, like, so little of it really comes across. It's just a kind of, it's meant as a buzz of conversation.
1: Yeah, and with that mention of getting some decent food, I I thought it was interesting when I was watching this minute earlier, it struck me that this is the last, like, benign, you know, blue-collar complaint we're going to get in this movie. Because this is the last time, this is the last time where the stakes are low enough that any complaint isn't fully warranted. Like, from now on, the stakes are so high that nobody's going to be bitching about the food, complaining about not getting paid enough. That's not what matters anymore from this point out. So I, it's actually kind of funny that, that this right here is when we're going to have a big change, and we get one last little blue collar moment where they complain about something like the food.
2: And it's so funny to me too because as he says that, he's getting himself a couple of like big scoops. First of all, he's getting himself a couple of big scoops of food. It's not like. You know, he's gnawing joylessly on an energy bar or something like he's clearly going back for seconds while he says, you know, but not it's not like this food is good or anything. But here's a bunch bunch more of it. And then second of all, it looks like like whatever he's digging into there looks like a pretty nice salad. Like it's it might be like a noodle salad or something, but it's, it's got green in it. Uh, it's got texture to it. You know, again, it's not like they're popping protein pills or it's like squirting a nutrient slush out of a jar or like eating the mush in the matrix. You know, there's so many future foods that seem like joyless and depressing. But they've got this like complicated table with stuff all over it. Like it looks like a feast and everybody's like reaching for different things and like obviously going back for like extra helpings of weird cereal stuff or whatever it is that the that ash is grabbing so the fact that he's complaining about the food like even as he's like really digging into it is like a little funny to me
1: i think it's a chilled soba noodle salad that's my theory on what he's eating by the way i was gonna you know, mention yeah i know me too <laughs> it's been a long day um you can't,
2: you can't complain about soba noodles no. noodle salad come on
1: Ash. i mean maybe in the future their standard food standards are much higher maybe that's soba noodle salads are just like like porridge to them in the future i don't know
2: <laughs> because food is so good that, that kane would be like oh, curse this curse this arugula goat cheese soba salad <laughs> i can't believe i'm eating this peasant food i can't wait till i can get back to hummingbird tongues the way oh uh,
1: that does sound like a pretty nice future i hope we uh, have something to look forward to of-
2: speaking of pretty nice futures uh, it is so cruel that like his last no significant line is basically like i can't wait for tomorrow when i can retire to my like when i can retire from my job and like go like live out my days on my yacht like of course he has to end with this like the first thing that i'm going to do when i get back darn you ridley scott
1: well well i think i'm i'm tapped out
0: it's a nice place wanna... to end the week, you know, because next week is going to get ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it is.
2: I don't know what you're talking about. I assume they get into the freezers and uh, like wake up on Earth. And
1: right. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not cruel at all to have him say that because he's going to go to sleep. He's going to go home.
2: Yeah, I think
1: he's going to be all. Everything's going to be fine, Tasha. Don't worry.
2: Be fine. I mean, Ridley Scott wouldn't lie to
1: us. No. So. No.
2: I think it's really interesting at the end of this week and at the end of this five minutes in particular to just kind of look back on in the, over the course of this five minutes alone, we get five different moments where like everything, if a different choice had been made, like everything would have been different. You know, we get Dallas and Ripley talking and she basically says, you know, you don't let him, don't let Ash overrule you, but like, which is one. Don't trust him in the future, which is two, and then don't take off from the planet, which if Dallas had listened to her and stayed on the planet, they might have all died, but that would have been the end of it. It would have, it would have burned out on the planet. And then we get, uh, we get Parker saying, you, we should freeze Kane right now, which presumably, given what we learned later by Alien 3, would have shut down the, the alien until it could have gotten home, and then in this moment, we get uh, we get Kane saying, you know, I've got to go get frozen, but I want to sit down for one last meal first. If he, if he hadn't needed to sit down for a last meal, they might have all gotten in the freezers and he might have made it back to Earth and he might have ended up understudy. Now he might have ended up dissected and we might have gotten what we get in like the comics where the aliens do eventually get back to Earth and everything becomes absolutely terrible but for this crew in this moment we get like five different branch points where people ignore good advice make the wrong choices or you know just completely inconsequentially choose a meal over like getting shut down in hypersleep in a way that would have like halted the alien like for a little longer at least
1: well you just raised a question i never I never thought about what would have happened had they got into the cryo chambers. I, I don't know what would have happened, but that's an interesting idea that maybe things would have turned out okay at least for a while. Where they get back to Earth, they get
0: unfrozen, the chestburster comes out, and then it's loose on Earth.
1: Yeah, it's it's safe to assume that the cry, whatever effect the cryo chamber has on the, them would have the same effect on the chestburster. That's a technology I have no you know even the theoretical concept of but oh uh, that kind of that's a whole other story yeah that's an interesting thing so, to bring up for sure. tasha
0: with the comics i don't i don't know much about how long of a run of alien comics happened whether it's the same continuum from here can you tell me something about that
2: The comics were always really interesting to me because different people wrote them, and uh, like I, when I say the comics, uh, I'm probably just completely misspeaking because I'm talking about the like the stuff that Dark Horse was putting out in, uh, either putting out or collecting from the 80s, um, in the 90s in omnibuses, and there was there was a lot of material uh, that was like first Aliens and then Aliens Predator crossover stuff, uh, before that stuff was actually happening in the movies. And a lot of it doesn't necessarily seem compatible with each other, but I just I remember that there was yet another plot line where Wayland Hutani tried to get a hold of aliens and weaponize them. And of course they, they escape, I mean, instantly. And they just they pretty much decimate the planet. It's it's proved over and over in these movies that you can't control these things and you can't weaponize them because they're intelligent, they're incredibly resourceful, they're incredibly predatory. Uh, but we come back to the the cycle of the company trying to like get a hold of one and trying to control it like over and over and the comics did that a couple of times Um, I know there was a lot more uh, stuff later on that I never read there are uh, I think uh, different continuities because (laughs) once Earth has been overrun with aliens it's a little hard to build on that. Although the fact that you do have all of these other people out in space um, means you can kind of go to other planets and see what, like, what the rest of the universe is doing when Earth becomes a, like a giant uh, xenomorph farm. But uh, well, I guess one of the things that interested me most about the comics was that they were willing to go to a grim extreme that the movies never were. And, you know, there was so much conversation about eventually possibly taking the movies to that place where the aliens made it to Earth, and then they, they just kept backing off on that. Because, again, like, how do you follow from that? How do you have a franchise after that?
1: That's a good point. Okay, well, are we done with Minute 55?
2: I'm exhausted. I'm going to go get some some good food. Yeah. Not some disgusting, delicious soba noodle salad. But, <laughs> you know, something, something really tasty.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us this has been great
2: oh guys it's it was this is so fun thank you so much for having me and what a great idea for a podcast
1: thanks well and remind the people one more time where they can find you on the internet
2: you can find me on twitter at tasha robinson you can find me talking about film on the next picture show podcast at next picture pod on twitter um you can find us at next picture show on tumblr and facebook And you can find my film writing, um, reviews, essays, whatnot, at TheVerge.com.
1: And, of course, you can find us at AlienMinute.com. You can also follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and leave us a review there if you want. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, at AlienMinutePod, and come to our Facebook page and talk to us about what you think about the podcast and about the movie Alien. Uh, So we'll see you next week for Minute number 56. Have a good weekend.